Hi everyone, Jack here with a special recording for the Activist Lawyer podcast. Today, Sir sits down with Judge Shireen Fisher, a judge who sits on The Hague, to talk about a project facilitating the safe passage and resettlement of women Afghan judges in Ireland. We hope listeners can get involved and donate where possible, and we really hope you enjoy this special episode of The Activist Lawyer. I have to say thank you so much for joining me today, Judge Fisher, to talk about your work. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very anxious to tell people about what we're trying to do to help the Afghan women judges who are uh, coming to and already in uh, Ireland at the moment who need Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the help of the legal community in order to start their lives again. Uh, having been through a uh, very traumatic and dangerous experience in their own country in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So really, really urgent and important work here. Just to take us back a little bit, Judge Fisher, how did you get involved in in this project and in this campaign? I know you're currently working quite hard on it, um, but how how has this come about? And uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit of background as to the um, initial stages of the campaign. Well, okay. Uh, It it actually goes back to 2003, uh, after the Taliban had been defeated uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, I was at a conference uh, in an organization to which I belong called the International Association of Women Judges. And to that conference came a woman from Afghanistan who had been a judge in Afghanistan before the Taliban took over. And she told us the story of what had happened to uh, justice in her country under the Taliban and how she had hoped to encourage young women uh, to go into law after having been precluded from any kind of legal education or education at all while the Taliban was in rule. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, the International Association of Women Judges is just as our name implies. It is an association of judges from all around the world. Uh, And one of our functions is to try to promote the rule of law and gender equality uh, and to encourage young women to go into law and into the judiciary. And so we took that opportunity to start a chapter in Afghanistan. uh, And over the years, we did a great deal to try to encourage women to to go into law, which was very difficult because uh, for them, because the uh, even though the Taliban was no longer in power, uh, there was a great bias against education for women and particularly going into the professions, uh, law being one of them. However, uh, fast forward to 2000 uh, to 2021. Uh, at that point, we had 270 judges, women judges in Afghanistan. Uh, who had been, many of them, educated uh, through our programs in international law and human rights, and who were sitting on the most precarious courts. They were sitting on courts that had to do with uh, prosecuting cases of violence against women, something that was a new idea in Afghanistan. Uh, They were sitting on corruption cases. They were sitting on terrorism cases. Uh, And they were facing not only the difficulty of getting educated and getting jobs to begin with, uh, but also they were uh, facing death threats almost daily uh, from people whom they had uh, sentenced uh, and their families and from uh, fundamentalist Muslims who believed that it was a sin 
uh, for a woman to sit in judgment on a man. Uh, however, they persevered. Um, and uh, as I say, we had 270 members uh, of the uh, organization who were all of the judges, the women judges in Afghanistan. Uh, when in 2021, it became obvious that uh, the uh, country was going to suffer some uh, instability. Uh, and so uh, a few months before the pullout of NATO and the U.S. troops uh, in August, our organization polled all of our membership in Afghanistan and asked if they wanted to resettle. And to a one, they said no. So what it, what's important, I think, for your listeners to understand is that these are not people who were looking to leave their country. These were people who were looking to stay and serve their country. Uh, and we have been speaking to, to, to these judges and hearing their stories, which are, are quite tragic. Um, prior, prior to the fall of Afghanistan, two of our members were uh, murdered on the way to their courts <clears throat> in Kabul. Uh, that again, it, uh, in, it made us want to reach out again and say, are you sure you're okay there? And the judges responded, we, we're not okay, uh, but we're staying. And some of the stories that we've heard, including one from a judge that here, here in Ireland, is that on the morning, she was in a, a province, and on the morning that the Taliban entered the province, she was in court. Uh, her mother called her and asked her to please return. She was a mother of three children, all under the age of five. Uh, she did not. She said, I'm staying in my courthouse. I'm staying in my courtroom. Uh, then her husband called with the same plea. She refused to leave. She continued her work. Uh, and But then the court security came in and said, we, we can't continue. You must leave. Uh, and so she, when she went out into the street, she could not believe what she saw because people were simply running in terror. Yeah. So she returned to her home, collected her, her husband and three little kids, uh, and they went, they traveled in a very fraught way, uh, and, but finally got to Kabul because she was sure that Kabul would not fall. Uh, obviously, she was wrong about that. Um, when they got to Kabul, they, uh, they found there were no hotel rooms. Uh, she and her husband and three little children finally found a place to sleep uh, in the basement of a storefront uh, because the, the merchant took pity on them and, and offered them shelter. Um, they stayed in Kabul for 25 days uh, when, the, when it fell. Uh, and at that point, uh, IAWJ, our International Association of Women Judges, reached out again to the women judges and said, do you still want to stay? At that point, there was the Taliban had taken over. They had issued a death warrant for all of the women judges. Uh, and in addition, they had set free all of the prisoners in the prisons who had um, uh, sworn revenge on, on the judges, particularly mm -hmm. the women who had sentenced them. Uh, and so of the 270, 240 said, yes, they needed assistance. Could we help them escape? Uh, from that point on, the IAWJ uh, worked with the judges to try to extract them. Um, uh, it, they were all in hiding. 
Uh, the organization worked with them to get them from safe houses. They had to change safe houses every few days with their families. Mm-hmm. And and just to emphasize, these are young women uh, that yeah. came in after the Taliban. Most of them had families with young children. Um, and so uh, it was a very fraught time. It continues to be so. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the IAWJ put together uh, a volunteer extraction team of judges from all over the world who just sat in front of computers in shifts, uh, working with other organizations, partnering with other NGOs uh, get and uh, mercenary groups and anybody that could help, uh, as well as governments, uh, trying to get these women and their families uh, out of Afghanistan. Uh, fast forward now to today, between August 15th and now, the IAWJ, working with other groups as well, has yeah. uh, gotten uh, all except 89 of those judges out, but 89 are still there with their families. Um, uh, so, uh, of course, part of getting them out uh, was not only uh, the the safe houses, the hiding, uh, the partnering with other NGOs, the chartering of planes, the use of, of troops, um, it, very complicated and fraught mm-hmm. process, but part of it, uh, an important part of it, and a necessary part of it, was getting visas uh, for yeah. these families. And so, to answer your, I'm now up to the point of your question, and uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, the IAWJ and the International Bar Association, the IBA. Uh, we're working together to charter a plane to get some of the women judges and some other legal uh, members of the of the legal community uh, out of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, when, but but visas were necessary, and so the IAWJ approached me and my uh, international judge colleague uh, Teresa Doherty, who is in the north and who is a. Uh, on my court with me in The Hague, but she's also an honorary venture for the Inns of Court in uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, the IAWJ approached us at the same time uh, uh, President Mary McAleese approached uh, Justice Doherty uh, because she had been approached by Baroness Helena Kennedy uh, to also see if we uh, could advocate with the Irish government to get visas. Um, We advocated for 10 visas. We thought that that we would be lucky to get five. Uh, The Irish government very generously gave us all 10 visas uh, and granted full refugee status. So then the next next challenge was to get these women actually and their families out of of Afghanistan. it took us many weeks to do that, but we finally got them all out to what's called lily pad countries, which are countries where they can stay until they can be processed into the countries that are willing okay. to give pieces. So, uh, and as it now stands, we have eight of those 10 judges in Ireland. The last two are supposed to come in on Wednesday. Uh, they've been uh, in Greece waiting for their paperwork to to be processed. Uh, hopefully, uh, Storm Barra will not <laughs> interfere with that. Um, we are, yeah. our fingers crossed that they will be able to safely yeah. get on an airplane and make it here. Um, 
So uh, that's how how uh, Justice Doherty and I originally got involved. Yeah. Uh, uh, when the visas were granted, the legal community in Ireland uh, and the legal community in Northern Ireland uh, at the urging of Justice Doherty um, agreed to uh, uh, fund an appeal uh, to help these women uh, in their resettlement. Uh, what, what, what people have to understand is when they got here, they were allowed to bring each 11 kilos. That's less than a, a airplane carry-on. That's 11 kilos. Okay. 11 kilos each. They have nothing. They went from their courthouses to uh, being on the run to going to a lily pad country, um, all navigating the logistics of, yeah. of small children and family members yeah i was gonna say bringing young family with them as well Gosh. yes it would it's 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 been it's been extremely traumatic uh mm -hmm. for them uh and uh the it, it it is it is interestingly there are other of course afghan refugees all of whom are yeah. in great need uh, but it, the way things have kind of happened is that different cohorts have been sponsored by different professions. So yeah. there are doctors, there are athletes. Um, academics. The, yeah. Academic, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. But the legal profession has, has stepped up to uh, support uh, the women judges, which is as it should be, because, mm -hmm. you know, we all talk about gender equality. We all talk yeah. about supporting the rule of law, but these are women who have been on the front lines, who have act, literally risked their lives for both of those causes. And um, in a way that, that we never will have the opportunity to do it, but we do have the opportunity to support them. And all of them, because they're young women, they're in their thirties, uh, to have gotten to the positions they got uh, were means that they were, they're very accomplished people. They're very ambitious people. They yeah. all want to stay in the law. Um, this experience has made many of them want to go into human rights law, to go into international law, to go into refugee and immigration mm -hmm. law. Uh, and they, they can do it. They can make a, yeah. a significant contribution given their experiences um, if we Absolutely. help them. But they're going to need they're going to need a couple of years of support before they can get retrained and they need money. And we need to get that money from yeah. the legal community uh, as as a first port of call. Sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about that and just the actual project itself. So that was a really insightful, I suppose, glimpse into the reality of the situation, which is really quite harrowing when you hear it firsthand and you've heard this information firsthand. So um, the good thing is that there seems to be a level of collaboration around this. So obviously you mentioned there the International Association of Women Judges and your role, support from the Irish government, obviously, there and granting the visas, the Law Society of Ireland, the Bar of Ireland, the Association of Judges of Ireland and the Irish Rule of Law International. And as you quite rightly point out, you know, this is to help fellow practitioners, fellow judges to um, firstly get safe passage here out of an absolute um, emergency situation in Afghanistan. But moving on then, the, the project itself, um, funding is something you just mentioned. So um, how can people help fund this? 
Is it, do you see funding coming from different streams? Is it private practice or how and who are the people behind the funding um, in terms of reaching out to that? Well, the place to whom donations can be made uh, is uh, uh, Angus's group that, mm-hmm. that you've already mentioned. That's the Irish Rule of Law International, yeah. The, the IRLI, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and they have a website, which I, I hope that you can... Uh, I will share that, yes. Yeah, I can absolutely. I can tell you what it is, but yeah, as websites go, you kind of need to look at them. But it's yes, Irish, <laughs> Irish Rule of Law, one word, dot IE, mm-hmm. forward slash Afghanistan, underline appeal. That is the donation website for the Irish Justice Community Appeal. Uh, and that's been created by Cormac O'Cullen, the Director of Communications for the Bar of Ireland, working in coordination with Justice Mary Rose Garrity, who is representing the Judges Associations, and with Angus Kelly and James Douglas from the IRLI. As I understand it, what the plan is uh, and why the, the money is so necessary is that even though the Irish government uh, is giving basic support to these families for which we are very grateful. Um, again, when you arrive with 11 kilos of property as your sole property, and uh, in this case, all of these uh, people had bank accounts, uh, of course, but they've been frozen and confiscated by the Taliban. Um, when you arrive with absolutely nothing, even uh, generous welfare aid isn't sufficient to get you reestablished. Uh, and they need, uh, as I understand it, the plan is that once we get them housing, at the moment they're being housed primarily in hotels by the Irish okay. government uh, as uh, in uh, emergency uh, uh, relocation housing. That is only temporary. It can only be temporary. As you can imagine, a family of five with three kids under the age of five in one hotel room uh, is not ideal. Uh, and there are other families that have children that are school age that need to be getting into school. Uh, all of the families are have been offered uh, free English lessons, which they're taking advantage of. All of our judges have some English except mm-hmm. one, uh, and she has a member of the family who is an English speaker. Uh, but we're we're encouraging all of them to improve their their fluency. Um, so what, what the hope is, is that we can get them into housing, which of course is at a premium. Uh, we have some uh, houses that have been donated by lawyers and judges, uh, but not nearly enough for all of the judges. Uh, so they're going to have to go on the commercial market. We're going to need uh, top up money to help them pay rent. Uh, each judge, as I understand it, is going to have formed around them a community support group. And these support groups need to be funded because of the in, the, the issues that will come up uh, with each individual family. Uh, in addition, we are reaching out to uh, universities uh, because all of these women wish to be retrained uh, so that they can become uh, useful parts of the legal community uh, here on this island. Uh, and so uh, there's going to need to be things like childcare for them if they're, uh, if they are successful in getting university placements, there's going to be travel allowances, things like 
laptops are going to have to be purchased, uh, not to mention household items. And, um, you know, so uh, they need everything. And they need everything. Yeah, they need everything. Yeah. So there's the basics there. Obviously, the accommodation is key support around the children and making sure that they're looked after after having arrived here safely. But then, as you mentioned, they bring um, amazing skill set with them and amazing knowledge as well. And it's interesting that you say, you know, they're keen to get involved in the legal community here. And um, how I mean, has anybody proposed a way that we could work that or a way to make that happen in terms of, you know, retraining or work experience, you know, um, aside from all of the basic and, and urgent um, material things that they need? What what can be done? Is there is there anything in place to secure that or is, is that early days yet? Well, the, the first thing that every that they need is money that, you mm-hmm. know, the, the first thing is money. <laughs> um, but. You, you raise a very good point because uh, we also want to connect them with the legal community uh, in uh, the Republic in Northern Ireland uh, f- uh, for networking possibilities, uh, for future job options, uh, for just advice and just social friendship. Um, these, these people are so isolated. Um, they are. They have been part of a, a legal community in their own country. They've been part of large extended families that they had to leave behind. Um, so the the social component will be extremely important. Uh, networking both for social support and for professional support and advice. So we uh, part of the appeal is to reach out uh, to the legal community uh, for that. Uh, now. Uh, of course, the first step is we have to get them housed. And so when we know where they're going to be located, we'll be in a better position to actually make that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, some of the housing that is being considered uh, is near the border, uh, uh, Sligo and Donegal there are okay. being looked at. Um, and uh, the universities on the other side of the border are also being reached out to uh, in terms of, of training op- opportunities. Mm-hmm. So there will be opportunities uh, for on either side of the border to get to know these families uh, and hopefully to support them professionally yeah. as well as monetarily. And this model of support has been tried and tested previously. Um, so it's a level of sponsorship that we've seen work before. And uh, hopefully once everybody is set up and have their basic needs provided for, and as you said, money, um, importantly, to get things started, it would be um, you know great to see how that rolls out on a kind of cross-community level between North and South and all of those fantastic organisations lending its support. So it's very clear if anybody does want to find out more to go on to the Irish Rule of Law um, International website. It's, as Judge Fisher mentioned, irishruleoflaw.ie forward slash Afghanistan appeal. And on that, it's very easy to make a donation, but there's also information on how you can involve yourself from a community perspective too. They have information there around um, um, helping to support resettlement for the judges and their families in Ireland, which is really, really accessible. And I'm sure the organisation itself and anybody involved would be able to answer more questions around that. But it's set out really clearly that 
there. And I mean, to give that insight into the context behind it, Judge Fisher, we really appreciate it. And again, if there's anything else we can do here, an activist lawyer, I'm sure we'll get some feedback from listeners about this because it's really important and it's really good to see a collaborative effort um, to help support uh, these women judges who are, you know, escaping great danger and, as you said, have been living in a very fraught and difficult environment for some time now. So fantastic work. And um, we hope to have you on again or someone from the organisation to let us know how it's going. So thank you so much for giving up your time today to join us and um, giving us that fantastic insight to your work. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I, I would really encourage uh, all of your listenership to, to have in mind that we all talk about how we support uh, the rule of law and we support gender equality. These are the people who have been on the front line doing that work. And you can support those concepts by supporting them. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.